Hello and welcome again to Debit This, Credit That. I'm Matt Haller and joined today by Matt Wheeler, the managing partner of Wheeler Accounting. Today, we are discussing why you shouldn't defer income in your retirement gap year. So, uh, you know, Matt, I'd like to start off. Why don't you explain what the retirement gap year is, please? The retirement um, gap year, Matt, it's um, <clears throat> I like to think of it as the period between when you when you retire, basically, and that varies for everybody, right? It could be your late fifties, early sixties, you know, whenever. When you stop working and your your income, your main income source drops off dramatically, that period all the way until age seventy, where you have the mandatory distribution rules that kick in for retirement accounts. Um, it's when the max, the latest point at which you can defer your social security until. And uh, for some people, maybe they have a pension or something like that that kicks in and, you know, you kind of develop this floor on your income, which we can't really, it's difficult for us to get below a lot of times from a tax perspective. Mm -hmm. So that, that gap is that period in between that when you retire and when that age 70 hits, I call that a retirement gap. There are very, very important tax decisions that can be made and should be made during that time. So let's talk about those, please. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, things you can do during that period. And the the general concept really is trying to accelerate some of that income that you're going to have after age 70 into that retirement gap period. So you can, you know, you can fill up those bottom tax brackets when you don't have a lot of other income showing to take full advantage there and, and spread the income tax hit over a period of several years and move income from the the mid-tier brackets, which you're likely going to be in when you're after age 70, into those bottom brackets and the retirement gap years. Okay. So how do I find out if this is for me, if this is something I should be concerned about? What questions should I ask myself? You know, if if it's me, if if I'm approaching retirement, right, a couple of years before retirement, I want to you know, ask myself, what are my what are my sources of liquidity and cash flow in retirement? You know, what am, what am I going to live off of, right? Uh, what's the breakdown of my current investments? You know, what percentage do I have in stocks, in bonds, which are going to generate, you know, taxable income generally, interest and dividends? What percentage of my investments do I have in tax-free municipal bonds? You know, where the income is going to be tax-free for federal and state tax purposes generally. Um, you know, is anything going to be return of capital income that's not taxable to me? Am I going to be getting a pension? When do I think we're going to be drawing on social security? Uh, am I going to, you know, am I considering any larger charitable gifts coming up in the next several years? Uh, is my mortgage close to being paid off? You know, these are a lot of the questions that you want to ask so we can start to identify, you know, how much income are you going to have during this retirement gap? And then, then we can start looking at what can we accelerate into that period from what would normally be taxed at the later, you know, post age 70 period. And so you keep talking about the age 70. So what happens if I retire early? Does this still affect me if I'm 60 and I retire and I've got 10 years before I can, uh, you know, really hit that that max out on uh, Social Security? Is this still applicable? I mean, this is exactly who that affects, right? Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We want to find someone who has a longer retirement gap period because there's more we can do to smooth that income out over a period of years. Mm. You know, I kind of, I kind of think of it like, uh, you know, your your earnings is kind of like the, the course of your life. You're going on a hike through the mountains, right? 
and your you know your elevation gain and loss is kind of like your income level over the years you, you start out in the valley floor you know you're making nothing in your 20s right walk into the foothills start getting into the mountains you're going up you know it goes down every once in a while you know get laid off whatever get a new job get lucky climb up a cliff or something mm -hmm. you know <clears throat> and then and you know you reach peak earnings kind of in your 50s right then you start to head back down the mountain a little bit and what some people do when they get to retirement is it's like they're just base jumping off the mountain you know <laughs> straight down to the valley floor right sure. just a complete drop off and that's pretty jarring to the body and uh you know mentally and physically probably and so what you want to do is kind of take the you know smoother route down right and smooth mm -hmm. out your income so when you get to age 70 you're just on a nice little walk through a higher elevation valley i there guess you, you would go. call it but you know, you know, get the idea. I do. That's a wonderful analogy, especially the base jumping. I think that's exactly what a lot of people do. So why is this important, though? I mean, not just from a tax perspective, but obviously when you're base jumping off of a mountain, it's terrifying. And what you're, I'm hearing you talk about is the fact that you can smooth this out so that this big gap isn't as scary. But why else is this so important? You know, it's just about having a long-term tax strategy, I think. And, you know, if you don't if you do not do any planning, a lot of people, if you, if you had, you know, no income during the retirement gap years, no no real income to speak of, right? Your W-2 earnings are all gone. You're just, you have some money saved up in some taxable and savings accounts. You're going to go travel the world and do some cruises or whatever. Um, and you're not going to draw Social Security for a few years. Your pension doesn't kick in until a few years. You know, I got a lot of clients where they, they come to me at tax time and we do last year's return and, you know, the income is, is zeros out for the year. Or maybe even sometimes it goes negative if you got your usual deductions like your mortgage and your property taxes and that kind of stuff. And that's that's a wasted opportunity because we could have accelerated some income into that year and paid no tax possibly or very little tax by, again, maximizing that bottom tier tax bracket if we had planned more effectively. So – that's really, you know, why it's important is you want to take that income. It's going to be taxed in the mid-tier tax rates or maybe even the top tax rates later when all your distributions from your retirement accounts and everything kick in. Tax at the lower rates right now. Maybe even, you know, do some specific strategies that can, you know, get that to be tax-free income later by recognizing the income now. So you have six steps, right? Six specific strategies that we can use in this gap year. And you've already touched on some of them, but let's break them down more individually. So let's start with number one, and this is the big one, right? So what are the solutions that our listeners can actually implement with their CPA if they're not working with you specifically in these retirement gap years? My, my big go-to during this period is we want to look at doing a, a Roth conversion, right? So that's when you take a pre-tax retirement account like a 401k or an IRA, all the money in that account is pre-tax money. So when you're going to pull it out of the account, you're going to pay ordinary income tax or have it you know, be taxed at ordinary rates on that income. And what we can do with the, a Roth conversion is we can convert a portion of the account into a Roth IRA. Now, a Roth IRA, when you take distributions in the future, all the distributions out of that Roth IRA are tax-free. The Roth IRA is also not subject to that age 70 and a half minimum distributions. So we look at trying to do a Roth conversion during the low income years. If you're 
a very low income or even a negative income kind of situation, we can usually convert a little chunk of the IRA each year, you know, maybe it's 20,000, maybe it's 40 or 50,000 into a Roth. You recognize income when you do the conversion, but if you're in the bottom bracket, if you have negative income, we we try and hit the, you know, break even point to where you don't pay any tax or maybe you pay a little bit of tax in that conversion. So now you've accelerated income from later years into the current year, but you don't pay any actual tax because you're in the bottom tax bracket or your taxable income is negative. And now all the future withdrawals out of the account are going to be tax free. So Roth conversion is one of the main strategies I like to go to during this period and see if it's something that we can use as a tool to take advantage of that retirement gap. And when you actually retire, and I'm air quoting there, um, that that's another main consideration, right? So how do you help people consider when they should do that? Yeah, the usually we're looking at kind of, you know, the year we're going to retire, when to retire. And usually it's people usually have some flexibility there, right? And there's a lot of factors they want to consider, you know, how much accrued vacation do you have? Um, do you have a bonus coming up that always comes at a certain period of the year? You know, obviously you want to make sure you take advantage of that in your final year and uh, unexercised stock options as well, right? So for a lot of people, we generally sometimes will think about retiring later in the year within the last quarter of the year. And that does a couple of things for us. One, um, if you have unexercised stock options, you generally have 90 days after you leave the company to exercise those options. So if you time it right and that 90 days can fall into two separate tax years, you have a lot of flexibility on when to recognize that income. You can straddle it over two years. That can be huge. You can you know, defer some of the income from the options to the following tax year where you're not gonna have any other income really and hit a lower tax rate than if you had to do it all in the year of retirement, especially if they were gonna give you some you know, golden watch bonus at the end, right? Or pay mm -hmm. all your recruit vacation and that kind of stuff. You're going to be in a high bracket possibly that last year. So retiring in the last quarter, you can you can shift you can, or you can decide you know which tax you want to recognize that option and come in. And you know similarly, you can also retire kind of near the end of the year, so your accrued vacation payout maybe happens in January instead of December. Uh -huh. So again, getting into the next tax year, some of those kind of things. So end of the year is pretty popular time, you know, or very beginning of the year. So mm -hmm. you're not not having a lot of income in the subsequent tax year, basically. Is this, I'm sorry, I'm going to digress here uh, very quickly. So is this something that you normally do with your clients at, at, at Wheeler? I mean, so do you sit down with people and how do you identify people and begin this conversation? I'm, I'm sorry, we're, 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 again, I'm digressing here. It's just you're, you're saying so many different things that seem so out of the ordinary for a, a client of, of an accounting firm to have that conversation with somebody like you. Am I missing something here? No, I mean... We're really big on trying to develop a long-term tax strategy for you. You mm -hmm. know, a lot of people go to their CPA and their CPA just fills out the forms, mm -hmm. right? You hear from them once a year. And that's not what we're about, right? We're about trying to develop a long-term tax strategy because that's how we really save you money over the long term. And part of that conversation, a huge part of that is when you're going to retire. A lot of times the conversation happens in conjunction with your financial advisor, right? Because they're usually pretty involved in this decision as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, we like to have a couple year lead time on this. <clears throat> Take a look at a lot of the things we talked about, those questions you should ask yourself, you know, mm -hmm. what, do you, what are your sources of liquidity and that kind of stuff in that retirement gap? And then see if any of these strategies 
you know, apply to you and okay. make sure we, we take advantage of them. Well, I think that really does make you truly unique and different. And, and thank you for having those conversations with your clients uh, because working with your financial advisor specifically and in having this different tack on it, I think uh, provides really great value. I don't know how many CPAs will sit down with their clients and do a long-term tax strategy. I'm always hearing, well, heck, you just got to get me all your stuff so I can fill out your paperwork. But speaking of financial advisors, one of the other solutions that you're talking about here uh, with these six different um, strategies to, to, to really help with this gap here is shifting the investment mix. So educate us on that, please. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of clients will have investments in a taxable brokerage account and they may have a big chunk in, you know, tax-free municipal bonds is a classic example, right? They'll, they'll invest in these while they're working because they're in their high earning years and these, you know, bonds will kick off tax-free income and when you're in a high tax bracket the more income you can get that's tax-free the better and it makes the effective yield you know on your investment the effective return you know a bit higher if you're getting it tax-free when you're in a high tax bracket right but i think the um you know thing that people always forget about is you can shift that mix once you get into retirement and you really should or you should at least take a look at it right and maybe the gap period is a good time to shift away from the tax-free stuff because now you're the you know assumptions underlying the original purchase of those investments has changed dramatically, right? You're not in the top bracket anymore. Maybe now you're in the bottom bracket. So tax-free income isn't as important to you. Maybe you'd rather have taxable income where you get an actual higher yield on the investment and your tax bite out of that really isn't that large because you're in the bottom bracket. Um, <clears throat> also, you can shift your investment mix. Usually that you know reallocating your portfolio may trigger some gains, right? We want to usually avoid triggering gains, but in the bottom tax bracket, there's a you know special rule where long-term gains are taxed at a zero percent tax rate. That's that's tax-free. So you may be able to you know shift or reallocate or reposition part of your portfolio without paying any income tax at that time, hmm. and you know pivoting away from that tax-free investments into you know more taxable traditional investments where they're not going to hurt you as bad because you're you're in a low-tax environment now. We've talked about good debt and bad debt on podcasts before, and you're asking people to consider paying off their mortgage. So explain how that can be one of your solutions or tactics. You know, when you're in your high in earning years, again, you're in a high tax bracket. You know, that mortgage is a tax write-off for you. And the higher bracket you're in, the more valuable each dollar of deduction is. But when you hit that retirement gap and your, you know, deductions drop dramatically, uh, because your income drops dramatically, maybe you scale back on the charitable contributions now that you're not working anymore. Um, <clears throat> another big one that changes a lot is the state income tax deduction. If you're in a state that has state income tax, because that's being withheld on your wages every year and you're having a big chunk of that paid every year and you get a deduction for it. If those all scale back, you're now getting probably closer to the point where your itemized deductions are close to your your standard deduction amount that everyone's allowed. So that when you get to that point, there may be a time when your itemized deductions, let's say they're $17,500 for a married couple, and the standard deduction is $15,000. So you're only $2,500 over the standard deduction amount. And if your mortgage interest is $5,000, you're really only getting a deduction for half your mortgage interest, right? Because the other part's already kind of underneath the standard deduction, which you would get no matter what. So 
you know, maybe now is a time in the retirement gap years to just pay off the mortgage if you're, if you're, you know, at that point where the standard deduction is going to be what you get basically instead of the itemized, and you're not going to get any more tax benefit for the mortgage. Maybe now we just pay it off because the that tax benefit of the write-off is now diminished or no longer there. And you know, if you're kind of a conservative person that doesn't like to have any debt or anything and not mm-hmm. have to worry about it, then now now's a good time to do that. In your peak earning years during this, or at least the beginning of these gap years, charitable deductions can actually be a very powerful tax strategy. So talk to us about those, please. Yeah, the um, you know we, when we just talked about kind of the year you're going to retire and choosing when to retire. Another part of that conversation a lot of times is what are your charitable intentions over the next several years? Because usually your final working year you're going to still be in a high bracket. And if you're a person that's always in the top bracket, you're in the top bracket still, but you're going to drop down to a lower bracket starting you know, next year and the next several years during your retirement gap. So we want to accelerate those charitable contributions you were thinking of making the next couple of years into the retirement year so we can get more bang for our buck on the charitable deduction right against the higher tax break. So one of the things we want to do is maybe think about front-loading the charitable contributions and making a larger contribution in the year of retirement. For some people, you know, they, they may want to take advantage of that in theory, but they don't want to give all the money away to an organization right away or something like that, right? So what we recommend in those situations is using a donor-advised fund. That's basically an account you can set up at one of the major, major brokerages, or if you have a financial advisor, they probably know about these, where you can fund the account with cash or securities right, and get a charitable deduction for the value funded into the account in the year the account's funded. Then at your you know, leisure, basically, you can write checks, so to speak, out of the account to the charitable organizations over the next several years. So you can get that deduction all in the final year in your high earning year by funding the account, but you don't actually need to write the checks to the charities until the next couple of years. It hmm. also works really well for, you know, if you donate to a lot of smaller charities and you want to you know, fund your account with appreciated securities. Maybe you have some stock from your employer from way back, low basis, right? Mm-hmm. If you if, if you fund with a with securities instead of cash and you've held it long term, you get a double benefit there. You don't need to recognize tax on the gain, which is amazing, and you get a deduction for the fair market value of the donation going in, so mm. the current valuation of the stock. So you get a double benefit there. But a lot of smaller charities can't take you know your shares of Google or whatever. Right. Because they just don't have a brokerage account, they don't have the you know administrative resources to accept those donations. The donor advised fund is perfect for that. You can fund the account with securities, then you can write the check out of the account to the charity or foundation or whatever, and they can take a check, obviously. So everyone kind of wins in those scenarios. Is that a difficult thing to set up, though? Should be really easy. It's basically like opening you know any other sort of account. You just got to. You know, open the account and choose how you're going to fund it and just make sure the funding happens before the end of the year if you want okay. the write-off in that year. But, sure. yeah, it, it shouldn't be that hard to, to do. There are fees usually associated with opening it or maintaining the account. Um, but you, so you got to take a look at that and see how long you're going to have it open and that kind of stuff. But they're usually not going to be too bad. And it's, it's still a good vehicle to use if you want to front-load those charitable contributions but not donate all the money right away. All right. Well, speaking of fees... Uh, one of your other big uh, points here for the six strategies that you can take advantage of to maximize the retirement gap uh, has to do with fees. So talk to our listeners about that. 
Yeah, investment management fees are a deduction for people, right? But they're what's called a miscellaneous itemized deduction. So they're on your itemized deductions. There's a couple of limitations, though. They're subject to a 2% floor of your income. So they have to exceed 2% of your income to get any sort of benefit whatsoever, right? And even if you reach through that hurdle, they're then they're not allowed as a deduction for AMT or alternative minimum tax. Now, that's a whole another podcast talking about AMT, right? I could talk for hours on AMT. But suffice to say, you don't get the deduction for AMT on these investment management fees. And when you're in your normal, you know, high income earning years, a lot of people in the, you know, couple hundred thousand to half million a year income range, they're going to be in AMT every single year. So they're effectively not getting any tax break for their investment fees paid. So we really don't focus on it too much in those years because it doesn't make any impact. But when you get to retirement, now you're probably not in AMT anymore, especially in those bottom brackets. So now these deductions can actually take on some significance. Now, when you pay investment management fees out of a regular taxable brokerage account, you get the deduction on those fees. It's pretty straightforward, right? But a lot of people, you know, for convenience purposes, will just have the fees on their retirement accounts, like their IRA, deducted straight out of the IRA account and paid to the advisor. Um, <clears throat> it seems easy and convenient. It kind of matches up with that account. So, you know, I get the logic behind it. But what you can do is choose to have those fees paid from your taxable account instead of inside the retirement account. And that has a couple benefits. You know, one, you now get the deduction on those fees because you're paying them out of a taxable account. Mm -hmm. You're not paying them out of the IRA. And two, you're not actually draining the IRA account down as fast. So technically, you're letting that account grow all the income in there grow tax deferred a little bit quicker because you're not pulling down the principal to pay the fees, right? So mm -hmm. there's a couple of reasons why you want to do that. You may want to do it even when you're in the EMT years, right? At least that part for that for that logic but you're not going to get the tax benefit of the fees because you're in AMT. But hmm. when you're in retirement gap, the low income years or something, now maybe it's time to really take a look at that because now you get a write-off for the fees and you still get to take advantage of you know not drawing down the account with those fees. What does success look like here? So take us back through kind of the uh, target market that this applies to. Walk us back through those six, but but after you get done with that, let, let's let's talk about some of the big benefits and, and what does success look like in working with a firm like yours and working in these retirement gap years? What is the output that they really want? Success to me, I think, is is having a long-term strategy for your taxes and then executing on it. So it all starts, you know, a couple of years before retirement at a minimum, where we're starting to take a look at your investment mix what you're going to live off of from a cash flow perspective after you retire and before you start drawing on your retirement accounts or even after you just after you retire in general what are you going to live off of right and then identifying if there's a period where we have that retirement gap I'm talking about where you don't have to take distributions out of your retirement account yet you don't have to take social security yet and trying to structure things in a way such that you have enough cash flow and liquidity to live off of but we're doing it in a tax optimal way right so you know, going back through the six strategies, if we're going to live off of some of the principal on our taxable investment accounts during that period, or we're not going to really trigger much in the way of taxable income, let's look at doing a Roth conversion, pulling some of the money from your IRA, 401k, some of the income into this year, converting it into Roth, and now letting that account grow tax-free into the future, which actually gives you even more opportunities later in your 
you know, after age 70 on which sources you want to draw from because you could start taking more liquidity out of your Roth IRA now, which is tax-free, instead of having to pull it all out of the regular IRA. Um, strategy two, looking at, you know, in the year you retire, when to retire, trying to straddle tax years if possible to spread the tax hit over more than one year and not have everything taxed in the top bracket in the year of retirement. Strategy three, shifting our investment investment mix in retirement, trying to pivot away from the tax-free stuff if you're already in a low bracket to, you know, more taxable type investments, which are going to generally give you a better yield. Uh, strategy four, maybe pay off the mortgage if you're not getting the benefit you used to. Strategy five, front-loading those charitable contributions in your final working year, trying to get a bigger write-off in the big income year when you're in the big tax rates. <clears throat> and then strategy six, you know, paying those investment fees out of the taxable accounts instead of out of the retirement accounts. And if you, if we can execute all those, if we can shift or accelerate income from the post-70 period into that period, really fill out the bottom tax brackets so we're paying a little bit of tax but not too much, if that lowers the tax in all of our future years because we've brought the income forward a little bit, to me that's success, right? We've we've now spread the tax hit more evenly. You didn't base jump off the mountain. You mm -hmm. took the you took the easy path down the down the hike and you enjoyed the scenery, right? Well, if somebody doesn't want a base jump and they want to enjoy that scenery, I really love that analogy, dude. That's like a perfect a perfect analogy to explain the feeling and the level of security that people can have by having a long-term tax strategy. So, so Matt, somebody uh, has listened to this podcast and they say, "Oh my gosh, man, I really really need to I need to talk to these guys. What what is the best way for them to get in touch with you?" You can go to our website wheelercpa.com or you can email me matt at wheelercpa.com uh, those are probably the best ways email works really great we tend to be in meetings a lot and that sort of thing during tax season especially so email allows me to get back to you a little bit later date and then we can schedule a time to talk and see if you know some of these strategies apply to you Fantastic. And this has been Matt Halloran for Debit This, Credit That, joined by Matt Wheeler, Managing Partner of Wheeler Accounting and a CPA. We just went over why you shouldn't defer income in your retirement gap years. Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you soon.